There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 992. Uh, if you were in Phoenix, Arizona this weekend, March 28th. 29 or 30. Uh, March 28, I'll be at Stand Up Live in Phoenix, and then I jump to another club across town uh, that is run by the same folks called CB Live on the 29th and 30th. So Thursday, Stand Up Live, CB Live, um, March 29, March 30. And if you go to id10t.com slash tour, the dates are all on the website now with ticket links. Oh my gosh, that only took forever uh but now it's done the new id10t is up so go visit uh we're gonna have some more stuff up there soon there's id10t shirts and pop toys and and uh a few things on there and it will be ever expanding in the near future so hope to see you in phoenix this week and uh, on id10t every day follow it on instagram why don't you okay i'm I'm getting hives from the self-promotion right now all right um let's talk about you and what you're up to in the ID10T community, events at ID10T.com if you want to share your thing. Uh, like Aton, who writes, three years ago, I quit a shitty job selling insurance to become a wedding efficient. Now I marry people for a living, and I specialize in creating nerdy wedding ceremonies. I've done weddings with themes like Star Wars, Legend of Zelda, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, Doctor Who, even a Disney princess theme. I have so much joy now. Well, I'm very happy to hear that. Good for you. Um, so last year I teamed up with a nerdy wedding photographer and we launched a wedding planning podcast. Oh, that's great. We're called, uh, your I do crew and we released about 75 episodes. We alternate episodes of our best wedding planning tips and episodes of wedding horror stories and how to prevent those things from happening. Uh, if any ID10Ts people are out there, uh, planning on getting married, I know they'll get a ton of ideas and tips from the podcast. Find us by searching your I do crew on almost any major podcast platform or going to your I do crew, uh, com. Uh, well, that is a great idea, by the way. Not only that you do that and you get to give people joy, but in such a fun way, and that you have a podcast about it. So I fully support this. Um, Paul writes, my friend Miranda started her own handmade wig company. It's called Sundrop Wigs, at Sundrop Wigs on Instagram. Uh, all the ones she does are mind-blowing. She's an amazing cosplayer and generally amazing person. Very sweet and supportive, not to mention super talented. Just wanted to promote her amazing work. Paul, you're a good friend. That is nice. And congratulations, Miranda. Well done, all of yous. Well done. This episode is Penn Gillette, who is a dear friend of mine. And uh, by the way, not only is the Penn & Teller show at the Rio in Vegas, I believe they're the longest-running headliners in, uh, in Vegas history. And if you ever get a chance, you should absolutely see that show the next time you're in Vegas. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to see in Vegas, but you should see that. Also, Penn & Teller have a show called Fool Us on The CW, which you've probably seen clips of on YouTube. The show is great. 
and I guessed on it on April 1st, which is very, um, which is very relevant that I'm on April 1st for reasons that will be apparent to you when you watch the episode, but I love them so much. They're just the sweetest dudes, and it was an honor to be on the show, and uh, I could just fucking hug those guys all day long. So, uh, Penn, back on the show now. I could have just said Penn and Teller are on the show now, and uh, and it would have just been Penn talking. Um, so that this, technically, I could say Penn and Teller on the podcast, and it would be the same result. Uh, so this is Penn. Uh, follow him, uh, and uh, and I think this is actually going to air on his podcast as well. I think it's going to do a little double duty. So that's all of that. And uh, I would also like to thank for sponsoring this episode of the ID10T podcast, Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood does not charge any commission fees. So you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. And the simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts uh, and market data, uh, place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movement so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of ID10T a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. So sign up at ID10T.Robinhood.com. Also, uh, I'd like to thank Squarespace. All right, Squarespace, you know the drill on this. You can create a website. You know, you you don't just have to rely on social media. You can put your stuff on your own website where you're fully in control of everything that you that you do and show to people. Uh, you can turn your idea into a website. You can showcase your work. You can blog or publish content. You can sell services or products, promote it all, announce an upcoming event or special project, whatever. All right, these beautiful templates created by world-class designers, powerful e-commerce functionality. Everything's optimized for mobile right out of the box. A new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions, and then analytics are going to help you grow in real time. There's built-in SEO, free and secure hosting, nothing to patch or upgrade ever, and 24-7 award-winning customer support. So make it yourself. Easily create a website by yourself. Head over to squarespace.com slash ID10T for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code ID10T to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, think it, dream it, make it with Squarespace. Thank you to Squarespace and Robinhood for sponsoring this episode of the ID10T podcast number 992 with Mr. Pendulette. Here we go. And tell her. Initiating ID10T protocol. Nice little room. Yeah, oh, I should put on the coaster. 
I mean, you know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm not really. Look at this. Nice microphones and and then a general uh, ambient microphone. You mix them together. Well, we don't necessarily mix them together, although that is a good idea. The reason that we have this backup microphone is um, you only have to have one podcast not get recorded Mm -hmm. to be extra paranoid. Well, we did the aristocrats. Yes. Um, Prevence Mm -hmm. went to... uh, uh, England to do a few of the recordings. Yeah. And he um, had Terry Gilliam. And I said to Provenza, bring headphones with you and plug them in so that you're sure you're getting it. Oh, no. And Provenza said, I hate carrying headphones with me. I said, bring, bring headphones with you. And we argued a little bit. And um, he then went to Terry Gilliam and Terry Gilliam went to a chalkboard and drew the aristocrats cartoon while explaining it oh. in a really, really wonderful thing. And Provenza had taken his consumer camera, which is what we shot it with. We shot it with, we had totally, total of eight. I already don't like there. where this is going. And he had a microphone that w- went to a lav that Terry Gilliam was wearing. And he plugged the pack that picked up that part of the way into the jack. No! So it turned off the internal mic. Oh, no. But did not connect the mic pack. No. <laughs> and he then, uh, uh, Terry Gilliam did a half an hour, and then Prevenz uh, left me a message that it was the best we had from the movie. And then he went back to his hotel and realized he had no sound whatsoever. And he came to Vegas, and there was another friend with us when Prevenz told me, and the friend said, which I like, the friend said, if your glance had moved from Prevenz to me for even a second, it would have killed me. <laughs> he said, I've never seen such pure hate. Well, and it's also the thing of like, this is what we argued about. Right. right. So he said, uh, in my New England way, I never yelled at Provenza. I never said, told you so. I just said, uh, no way to fix it. And Provenza said, no, we didn't record it. And Provenza, which I love the most, is Provenza called Terry Gilliam and explained the whole situation to him. And Gilliam said, I, I understand completely. That kind of stuff happens. It's really, really horrible. It happened with me when I was shooting Brazil. I lost a whole reel. It's a terrible, horrible thing. I understand completely. And Prevence said, so you'll do it again? And he said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I said, I understood. <laughs> but no, fuck you and your movie. I'm not doing it again. So you basically have this great silent film of Terry Gilliam doing a chalkboard drawing of aristocrats. And we tried... Subtitles. We tried looping. We tried Prevenza saying, I fucked this up, and this is what he was saying, the kind of thing, and none of them were funny and none of them were good. And so what, what you maybe needed was someone like. If uh, you come up with a solution right now, I do. I'll, I'll strangle you. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> I do have a solution. Billy West? No, not Billy West, well, although that is a good solution. The solution is you get someone like uh, Terry Jones or Michael Palin to go, oh, Exactly. Like you just basically do a Python voiceover yeah. of Terry Gilliam drawing a thing. We did so try many things, and none of them were just funny. Because of the way it's cut, you don't have time to do a bit within the bit. You know what I mean? Right. The way the aristocrats was put together was not 
four-minute hunks of each person. So let's – this is a great place to start this, okay? Because this <laughs> is this is basically uh, something, something shitty happened that no one – it was just an accident and it, it was a speed bump in the life of this film, which, you know, I'm sure you've played out, oh, it would have been – even a hundred times better with this thing. And I was like, so do you uh, uh, do you say, well, that's just the way it is, and we just have to live with it? Or is your is your point of view more stoic, where it's like these things happen, and we we move forward from here and try to figure out how to turn these into minuses you, into pluses, or is it like, well, it just wasn't meant to be? be. You could not be uh, more stoic than me. Yeah, I figured. And you also could not be. Uh, you know, I've done these shows. These. Uh, Dancing with the Stars bullshit shows, yeah. Celebrity Apprentice. The standard thing that everybody on those shows says is, I'm a perfectionist. Right. And they say that, first of all, they don't know what the word means. <laughs> and then they're saying it because they think that's a way to self-aggrandize themselves. Right. Um, whereas actually it's a, it's a completely stifling position to be in. Right. And they're not really using it correctly. If they, the way they use it wrong is awful. And if they were using it correctly, it would be awful. But I, I like to get things done, mm-hmm. and I will cut corners. Any corners necessary. <laughs> to get. We had a great thing happen. Uh, we're working on this new bit in our show. We're trying to get a lot of new bits in our show because um, Fool Us is coming up. Right. We have to have a, like ninety minutes of brand new material. So we're running a lot of stuff, and we put it in the show. You know, and. Um, we try to at first hammock it between strong bits. And of course, stuff yeah, as you do. Yeah, but um, so this was the rehearsal. Um, we finished running through this bit. We're doing VR with Randy Pitchford from Gearbox. Mm-hmm. It's a full B- VR bit with us having avatars of us and we interacting live with the stuff on the screen. Very, very complicated. And we finished. One of the crew guys we trust very much, Zeke, was sitting there, and we finished it. And uh, Zeke said, "I." don't know if there's a trick there. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I'm not sure that my feeling would be that I'd seen a trick. It might be nothing. And we don't really have jokes in place. I, it, there's some parts where they're splashy, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. And then Johnny Thompson, who's our mentor, uh, Johnny's in his 80s and is considered by, I think, everybody to be the greatest mind in all of magic, um, who has been working with us for 20 years, works with us on everything, he's at every meeting, everything. He's the final judge on Fool Us. He mm-hmm. decides whether people have, we've been fooled or not. And uh, Johnny sat there and went, ah, boys, he calls us boys, we're both <laughs> over 60. <laughs> He, he's over 80. He can so call us boys. Yeah, uh, he said, uh, boys, I, I'm not sure there's there's magic here. I'm not sure. Uh, I think you may have, as we've been working on this over the over the weeks, you, you may have just lost your grip on where the magic is. I'm, I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm not, uh, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't seem to land for me. Which point there was a very long pause. The teller said, uh, "Want to put it in tonight?" I said, "Sure." 
<laughs> so, so that is that is that is the penalty. And did it work? Yeah, yeah. It went over. It went over pretty well. It did not kill. I mean, there's there's not the kind of punchline you get if you were doing a situation comedy. Right. It wasn't like the best bit in the show. Right. And it didn't wasn't a disaster. The audience went okay. Yeah. There's, there's some magic there. Right. Not as much as Johnny wanted. <laughs> but did you, do you, and then, so do you feel like, oh, do we go back and fuck with it? Or do you just feel like, oh, oh no, that's no, good we, for now? We, uh, we, you know, we try to um, get things in the show pretty early. And then you think about them all the time. And you just, since you're going to do it every night. I mean, there's nothing like, and so few people get to do it. You know, um, uh, we've done... 12,000 shows? Jesus Christ. I mean, we've done more than the uh, the Beatles, the Stones, Dylan, uh, all together mm-hmm. by a factor of five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we have spent, you know, you talk about the 10,000 hours. Right. We've, we've spent, you know, together on stage 30,000 hours. Right. Um, and uh, we get to do stuff. That no one, and there's, I think this is just true. George Burns started in show business when he was like eight. And by his, um, his assessment, and I think everybody else's, I don't think there's any false modesty here. He sucked (laughs) until he was 30. I mean, really had no skills at all and just persevered. Right. And then he met Gracie Allen. And then by the time he was 60, he was fabulous. Figured it out. And you know, on um, when you want to be a pilot, and I know you do. Of course. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> when you want to be a pilot, all they care about is flight hours. That's right. They don't ask you, are you flying many storms? Yeah. They don't say, you know, what, what are your goals? Oh, for I had this future? one really great. This flight sucks, but you should have seen the flight yesterday. <laughs> that one was great. They just say, how many hours have you sat in the cockpit while this plane is in the air? Well, you know, again, last night it was how a bringer flight. Hours My family was have in. you sat Shit. in <laughs> how many hours? I don't know, five, six. Okay, I don't, we don't know. want you. Oh, come on. <laughs> I want, come on. I was good. Flight time really matters. It really does. So, um, and Teller and I, in, in an age of television and podcasts and all that other stuff, you eat material. And uh, it's what Warhol, and I'm not going to quote him exactly, but Warhol said this wonderful thing where he said, if they're going to do pretty much the same situation comedy every week, why don't they do the exact same ones so they can get good at it? <laughs> I mean, my, the thing I think about all the time, can you imagine the first show of Saturday Night Live? Right. Okay. I, yeah, the Carlin, right? It was Hosted Carlin. by Carlin. Yeah. And Belushi and that whole gang. Imagine if they had done that 150 times. Right. Imagine how that show would be. Right. Because you develop different skills. It's a different skill learning to be Conan. Right. Than learning to be George Burns. Right. I know, well, that's a bad example because he also did TV. But I mean, someone who really did, a guy who worked carnies or fairs and bangs out the same shit. So Teller and I have the advantage of allowing our subconscious to process some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. When you're working um, on a one-shot thing, if you're working in movies or television, um Everything needs to be verbal and intellectual. Mm-hmm. If you and I are in a room saying, we're going to go, we're going to do this half hour, this way it's going to go, and there's going to be a moment here that you can't describe, 
it's not going to get on the show. Mm-hmm. There's just no way it's going to get on the show. If you go, man, there's this feeling I got that I can get from this part to this part. And I'm not sure what I'm going to say, and I'm not sure what the point's going to be, but I really have this feeling I can get there. I'm going to go, well, no. Right. <laughs> We're going to be in front of cameras. We can't wait for you to figure it out. That's different in a live show. Yeah. In a live show, I can say to Teller, I'll get us there. And he'll go, okay. And that's the entire discussion. And he doesn't even know till he's on stage, I'm going to get there. And then two months later, that's an absolute script that you can bang out. We can send the video to the foolish people. They can see it, everything else. And no one ever has to say, how did you end up writing that section? Right, well, right, Ben right. had a feeling, and he went out for four, <laughs> for four or five nights. It was bad. And then for ten nights, it was okay. Well, that's why, that's why comedy in particular is so tricky to shoot because it's such a I mean listen I love I've I've been, I was heavily influenced by albums and every stand up special in the 80s and continue to watch comedy all the time I'm not 100% sure that comedy in the that's okay I'm not 100% sure that comedy the way that we see it in like specials or whatever was necessarily meant to be televised like there's something about the live experience and especially what can happen is performers get so accustomed to performing for their own audiences but then and, – and when you're in the live show, you're caught up in the energy and you're in it and it's – you know, it's like you're you're just part of this little community for an hour and a half. But it can be difficult to shoot because if you're separated from that and you're not part of that mm-hmm. energy and part of the experience and it's not what you said, if all the jokes aren't – you know, if you're not getting the kind of forgiveness energy of being in the live show – the watching a special on television can be vastly different than actually having been but there. But there's a lot of studies that actually say that touching people changes everything. You put a thousand people in a, in a standing up in a crowd where they're touching shoulders. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter very much whether it's uh, the Pope or Jay-Z. There is a different feeling that you get. Human beings react to that. There's Mm -hmm. evolutionary reasons for that. So just being in a room instead of in your living room, this is the thing that, um, well, uh, going back to the aristocrats, it was an issue that we were really dealing with. Because aristocrats was early enough, it was, you know, 2005 or something, that people would still have a chance of watching the theater. You pretty much let that go now. Mm-hmm. Nothing's watched in the theater anymore. But if you watch the Marx Brothers movies, which are brilliant, uh, you watch uh, Duck Soup or Animal Crackers, after every gag, there's this space where they were expecting a theater audience to laugh. Mm-hmm. And now you don't do that. And Woody Allen, who's written about this, said that he didn't know what he was editing for at the turn of the century. You just don't know what you're editing for. And by editing for a theater and the aristocrats, it's an entirely different experience for people who watched it on a video and people who saw it at Sundance with the sold-out crowd. Right. And at Sundance with the sold-out crowd, you're missing the beginning of every single uh, next section. Because people are laughing. Just They laugh over it. You don't hear it. It's gone. Right. And there's some places that just aren't funny because you didn't hear the setup. That's right. They're just right over it and done. But we were going back and forth going, well, who are we doing this for? Right. And on top of that, you've got this deep context that um, I think we have to uh, – it's going to be interesting to see how we learn about this. You know, Because I've been making this argument really since the 80s. People would say this is back when Stern 
wasn't uh, anodyne, you mm-hmm. know, when, when Stern actually was a little bit edgy and people had people had opinions on Stern. I mean, I don't even know if you're old enough to know that, but Stern used to be a shock jock. Right. He wasn't, a, you know, a television guy. Right. And uh, when Stern was shocking, people would pull out clips and I would say, well, that's out of context. And they would say, well, we're going to, we'll play the whole show. And I'd say that's still out of context. Because you have to listen because to the show. <laughs> the context is like when your uncle's at Thanksgiving and he says something insane, but you've known your uncle for your whole life. Right. And there's a certain kind of uh, depth of that understanding. And when you listen to someone like Stern, someone who's filling up a huge amount of space and is saying a lot of stuff, uh, you have to understand that you can almost prove anything about mm-hmm. Stern. You could prove socialist. <laughs> right. You could prove Ayn Rand. You could prove anything from Stern because people are really complicated. Right. And Stern was a wonderful example because Stern would talk about someone he loved having cancer and then do a fart joke. Right. And do them within the space of 30 seconds, which is what people do. That's right. Everybody in the world does it. And we're now reaching a part with Twitter where Twitter allows us no context whatsoever. Twitter is the the elimination of context. And you've got this, you know, couple sentences said by somebody who we all believe. And I'm not I'm, I'm not pointing fingers at other people. Everybody, you and me, believe are the totality of that person's thinking <laughs> when we see it, you know? <laughs> well, everyone always makes exceptions for themselves. Oh, well, I, you know, I mean, I I you know, it's it's the same thing about like how, you know, if um Whatever. It's like you you find out uh, someone, you know, cheated on their taxes and you're like, well, that fucking piece of shit. And then you cheat on your taxes. Someone's like, didn't you do the same thing? Well, I mean, but you know, it's me. I mean, it's different. Well, you know, well, the, the answer is it's different because it's me. The way the the way the sh- some uh, clinical uh, brain people describe this is people tend to think that what other people do is based on their personality. And what you do yourself is based on the situation. Mm-hmm. So it's situational for yourself it's, and personality for other people. That's really true. And it's, it's really a useful way to look at it because it's situational for them too. Well, and it's just – it's, it's <laughs> at least thinking about it that way should, should – you know, it's, it's, it's really just about trying to infuse as much uh, empathy and humanity back into the culture that – But, you, you know, know, I was one of the – I was one of the people who in the, in the early 90s – you know, uh, at MIT and and speaking with people all over, I was a real futurist, you know, and I talked about forever how the internet was going to be a, a egalitarian democratization of of everything. It was going to be really wonderful to everybody have their voice and having all the information out there and uh, was completely blindsided to see how um, how that huge amount of information – Every, there was a great, you know, um, when uh, John Lennon was uh, going around uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, and um, I was, you know, complete fan of John Lennon. I was one of the people that liked John Lennon with Yoko mm-hmm. more than John Lennon with Paul McCartney. <laughs> I thought that was the wimpy stuff. The, the ballsy stuff was all with Yoko, which I still believe. I still believe John's stuff after the Beatles is better, but uh, for my taste. Uh, goofier, nuttier, crazier, braver. And um, there was a, a cartoonist, Al Cap, who did like Little Abner, you know. And the square as a guy could be, 
And there's an interview that Al Cap does with John Lennon uh, in 69 when he and Yoko are in bed doing bed piece and all of that. And it's interesting uh, when I watched that at 14, you know, to me um, – Al Cap couldn't have been more of a dick and John <laughs> Lennon was a hero. And then you see it uh, later and you just go, oh, John's crazy and high and stupid. And Al Cap is just kind of sensible, asking reasonable questions. <laughs> and Al Cap also completely gets it. I mean, it's not like he's left out. I just couldn't see in the interview that he was also understanding, going, yeah, yeah that's fine, but. But that's an interesting point that you bring up about, and, and it's something that I been wanting to talk to you about but this kind of romantic idea that people have of genius oh yeah well, I mean? no no one hates genius more than me uh, <laughs> but what, the, what Al Cap says is he says John Lennon sings power to the people power to the people power to the people that was a song he had power right. to the people right on and Al Cap points out if you actually give Power to the people of the United States. John Lennon will be locked up and sent back to England. <laughs> and I'm afraid that's what we're seeing with Trump. I mean, we're seeing that um, the Constitution is supposed to protect this stuff. And if you actually let a mob mentality take over, they won't necessarily do the most compassionate thing. Why don't? That but mean, yes, the genius thing. But wait, I'm going to start coming about that because I don't even think that has anything to do with doesn't have anything to do with politics. I think those are separate issues. What's happening is that the internet is – it's just this idea of like absolute power corrupts absolutely. And right now the internet has absolute power yeah. and it is drunk and corrupted by its own power. And it is basically – you know, the internet is just set on destroy to destroy, you know, like but just because it's – all we have to do is learn. That's and all you know, we and, have to do. No, and we do. We, we do, really we do. do. We do, we do, we do. But it's just that, you know, when – when you but in this in our kind of upvote culture where it's kind of more important to get likes than to have conversations and you know to achieve significance through like fast hot takes on stuff as opposed to like well thought out you know well reasoned you know exchanges of ideas you know that's that's just sort of the, the thing. we we can we, we'll get sick of it <laughs> no I really believe that see you I am. Uh, a pathological optimist. I love that about you. I mean, I, I, and you know, all you've got to do is look at the numbers and hunger and violence are going away. Mm -hmm. Shut up. There's nothing else we care about. You know, yeah. If people are a little mean in tweets, I can take that if there are uh, actually, which there are in the past 10 years, half as many people starving. Right. Half as many. Motherfucker. That's all I care about. <laughs> you know, the fact that uh, the United States is not doing great now, but Africa, India are doing fabulously. They're getting less people starving. I'm talking about they're going from $1 a day to $2 a day, which is, that's a difference in shoes. That's clean water. That's education. 90% of girls on this planet now are going to school. You know, it was 20% in my lifetime. So you, so you think it's just all part of the it, – because there are definitely – I don't mean to just be negative about it. I, just, I, I agree try. with you. No, try. Try. It's easy. It's easy to be negative. No, try. I'll take you down. <laughs> Wait, I'm on your don't side. Be negative. <laughs> no, Go I don't want to be. It's poisonous. I don't want to be negative. It's fucking poison. It's, uh, but you're right. In, in as much as that I do believe that the internet is corrupted by um, – you know, it's sort of an unreasonable tendency toward destruction. You're right. I mean, 
the power that it has had over connecting our culture and up and and raising up voices and 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 connecting people. But you're not the only one. Uh, we aren't the only ones getting sick of that. That's my only point. Right. Uh, I believe that everyone is getting sick of it. But I, I, and pretty soon you're going to just kind of go. People are going to just kind of go. Ah, Twitter. Fuck. <laughs> The uh, court will note that uh, Mr. T- uh, Mr. Gillette uh, did the hand, the jerking off hand motion. But um, uh, uh, this idea of genius, though, is really interesting to oh. me because we, we we are obsessed with the romantic idea of like, oh, there's just genius. 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 genius Mozart is a word that's only used by people as an excuse to be lazy. <laughs> and or after they died. This is amazing. You just say so-and-so is a genius, so I don't have to work that hard. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, everybody that we see as genius now is an absolute plodding, hardworking motherfucker. Right. And the amazing thing is the the Dylan, more blood, more tracks. Mm-hmm. What I had believed, uh, I am a Dylan nut, maybe, maybe crossing over into dangerous to my life. Mm-hmm. I care a lot about Bob Dylan. <laughs> now, the story was, blood on the tracks, that Bob Dylan... Uh, was having trouble with his wife. Divorce was coming. He took his guitar. He went into a studio. He poured his heart out. He sang Blood on the Tracks. It was the most honest appraisal of romance. Uh, He poured it out. It was blood pouring onto the tracks. He then listened to it. It was a little bit too intense. He talked to his brother. He went and he got a different band. He Calmed it down a little bit, but it was pure genius. And that just popped full-blown. And then there were rumors that there was a notebook that Bob Dylan had been working on, on Blood on the Tracks. And then there were weird things he said in interviews like, yeah, yeah, I was going through a divorce, but I was also reading a lot of Chekhov. And then there's other interviews where he's taking painting lessons and he's discussing with the uh, his teacher time and compressing time, seeing time from different angles. Then it turns out there are three notebooks. And the three notebooks are tiny writing every single song and every word of every song crossed out, redone, crossed out, redone, crossed out, redone. And then the takes come out. And he didn't go in the studio and pour out his heart. He went to the studio and banged through the same motherfucking songs 40 <laughs> times trying to find maybe, uh, maybe uh, and he, at one point, this man who's just a genius pouring out his heart goes uh, uh, it's really hard to, uh, there's so much going on at once it, it's like life or something. <laughs> <laughs> but know, the original story is better for people. And then Mick Jagger shows up and goes, oh, I'll about you play some slide guitar. Oh, and you realize that Mick Jagger's just there. I'm, I'm working on something, Mick. Shut up. Go <laughs> go, go party with someone else. <laughs> but, uh, and you know, Vermeer, I, uh, we, we did that movie, Tim's Vermeer, mm-hmm. where uh, Vermeer, who is always seen as someone who's full-blown from the mind of Zeus, just starts writing. And one of the most profound, you know, I'm from a... Uh, stupid little town. I never met anybody in show business, you know. And probably the moment that I thought I could maybe go into the arts was uh, Bootlegs came out. And um, I had always thought, and I really believe this, it's so hard to look back with the information I have now, but I really believed 
that the Beatles went to George Martin with Sergeant Peppers in their head and said, here's where we need the kazoo. Here's where we need the piccolo trumpet. Here's the arrangement we need here. Here's where we're going to take a little bit of, you know, King Lear and put it in the background. Here's where we're going to do this. We're all set to go. And then the musicians and George Martin worked hard to create what was in their head clearly. And then when I was whatever I would have been then, 14 or 15, in my local record shop, they got bootlegs in. And one of the bootlegs was called Come Back, K-U-M-B-A-C-K, Take Off on Get Back. And it was uh, Beatle Outtakes. And then I heard Paul McCartney singing out of tune, not being able to find the first note. And then I heard George Harrison doing a solo on Let It Be that was completely inappropriate. (laughs) Absolutely blew the whole mood. And then I heard... George Harrison and John Lennon arguing. Uh, that's not. That's not. I was doing with uh, frustrated, tired, and I heard these half-written lyrics that didn't sing and didn't make sense and didn't land. I went, wait a minute, they're working on shit. I could do that. <laughs> I can work on stuff. You basically saw the magician b- backstage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can work on stuff. Oh, the bird just hides in there? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Well, we can do that. We can do that. I can you hide mean, a bird. Mean, this is just dipshit stumbling around? <laughs> I can do that. And, and, and they're working six hours a day? I can work 20. Yeah. We'll bang this shit out, you know, and that is, uh, and whenever I hear someone talk about someone being a genius, I always go, that's just a lazy person, you know, you're not willing to do that. And you look at anybody, Emily Dickinson, you look at anybody, you know, we find out she hours, days, months on, you know, four lines, mm-hmm. you know, they're just banging that sh- Walt Whitman, you know, pick anybody who you have the romantic ver- vision of just, you know, and I, Mozart. I don't know. Started really early, did a lot of stuff. Now, there's no doubt that there's different abilities. You know, we know Shaq O'Neal is taller than me. Right. And we know that height isn't the only way people differ. Some people are smarter than others. You know, I, I've sat, I sat with Richard Feynman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you're dumb shit when you're talking to Richard Feynman. Of course. You know, we know people. But that, that, that magic thing, the genius just does it. I've never seen it. I mean, I've sat with Gilbert Gottfried making up stuff, the funniest man I've ever heard. And some of the moments are just incredible. But he's also banging it out, grinding it out. So I think that, that uh, that's just a really dangerous, dangerous, stupid word, I think. Yeah, and it's also dangerous to think that, I don't know, well, yeah, just no one gets it because it's like, well, maybe that's the case. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe no one gets you. But I guess it depends on what you want. But if you do want, if you, if you know, if you want to get good at anything, there's no secret behind putting in the hours. And you've also got to uh, remember, you know, there's, there's always this kind of argument um, that I, I used to have all the time of whether you please yourself or please the audience. And the answer comes down to it is 100%. You have to please yourself 100% and the audience 100%. <laughs> and if either one is compromised, it's not good. It right. just doesn't feel right. That's an interesting way to find. Uh, I haven't thought about it that way. Uh, but you also have to be very careful 
that you have labeled who your audience is. Right. <laughs> right, right. It does right. not mean that you can go out and do, you know, you 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 can't do, you know, they have to be speaking the same language you are. That's right. They have to be there for the same reason. You right. can't do, you know, you're not going to be able to do a string quartet in a punk club. Right. You know, that way the audience isn't right. Unless you thrash the viola <laughs> at the end. I actually heard um, <laughs> at the double down in um, in uh, Vegas, which is a really, really down and dirty um, uh, punk club. Yeah. Uh, I once heard a punk band doing Take Vive by Dave Brubeck. That's hilarious. Head slamming in five more time. <laughs> and that's really hard. That is very hard. It was great. It was really great. I also heard perhaps the, um, the greatest sentence I ever heard said to me. One of our crew guys backstage, I was waiting to go on, said, uh, uh, I got a thing now. Yeah. Hey, Penn, do you know that Anton LaVey's granddaughter dances topless to a surf band at the Double Down? (laughs) Wow. And guess what? It's true. True. Wow. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, that reminds me. It's the word surf. Surf. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, surf. surf. Well, that's a very specific. (laughs) That's a very specific subgenre. That's the the Double Down. You know, you've just reminded me that, uh, I mean, I don't spend a lot of time in Vegas, but... And that's a flaw I that you've accepted. <laughs> but first of all, I want to come see your show again. And second of all, my wife and I caught wind that there's a zombie burlesque show yes, there is. somewhere in Vegas. That and it's supposed to be pretty okay. It seems like it might be amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's name things, name things you like more than breasts and zombies. I mean, for me, it's actually about the zombies. <laughs> what, what more do you want? Ice cream? Ice cream is great. <laughs> Ice cream is great. Yeah, see, I'm vegan now. Oh, so I'm no longer vegan ice cream. Ice cream. Vegan yes, ice there is. Very coconutty. Is <laughs> that uh, sounds like uh, dis- is that New England disapproval? Uh, I'll tell you. Uh, I uh, before I was a vegan, I disliked coconut. But if you're going to be vegan and you're going to occasionally have a splurge, you must make peace with coconut. You better fucking like coconut. You must make peace with coconut. Yeah. <laughs> And I have made peace with coke. Not the kind, not still not the candy kind. See, I think this is what happened. One Christmas, mm-hmm. I wanted uh, a lot of Mounds bars for oh, Christmas. Yep. And my parents um, uh, gave that to me. Mm-hmm. They gave me a large stocking, you know, symbolic stocking, not actually a stocking you'd wear. Of course. Large red with glitter on it that said pen across it. Like you have, yeah. yeah well, you wouldn't be. have one that said pen across it. That would be really creepy. Weirdly, we do. <laughs> yeah, it's just like we keep we keep a stocking for you at our house. <laughs> and they filled it with Mounds bars. And was your dad like, and you're not coming out of there until you finish every last one of them? Well, no, but <laughs> yes. Um, it, there was no parental pressure, but I did eat uh, many more Mounds bars than I should have. And that, that kind of did it I for vomited me. a very large amount of um, processed uh, coconut-flavored plastic, I suppose yep. what it is. I don't yep. think there's any real coconut <laughs> in a Mounds bar. <laughs> and uh, from then on, my, uh, my, my feeling about uh, coconut was not, was not positive. Well, at the time, you never realized that you would have a completely plant-based diet. I didn't. I didn't. So, so I didn't know you that. Didn't, you didn't know. I didn't know that my love of coconut had to be cultivated. And, and, you, and you, do you feel good? You look good? You feel like more I, energy? I feel fabulous. And there's this weird thing that happens, man. Oh, geez. When I wrote my book... 
about losing the over 100 pounds. I write in it that I am an unethical vegan. Okay. That I, it's not for animal purposes at all. But this weird thing happens. Like nobody, I mean nobody, feels good about factory farming. Mm-hmm. There's no one that goes, boy, I just love where my bacon comes from. Right. No one likes it. But you make all these excuses and you stop eating animal products for like six months or eight months. It may be the microbiome sending signals to your head. It could actually be something physical. But certainly – in the bacon, man. Exactly. Certainly there is a uh, – the muscles that um, resolve your cognitive dissonance to, to be able to eat things that are tortured mm-hmm. get weak. And all of a sudden, you start going, oh, geez, I, maybe I'm also a vegan for other reasons, too. Oh, wow. It kind of comes in. So I, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, if, if you allow me. Please. Oh, my gosh. What's that? That's a belt that isn't leather. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's a canvas belt. It's a canvas belt, yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. So uh, even that's going away. Even that's going away. I don't. Uh, I don't wear a leather motorcycle jacket. You know, I uh, I still have some leather uh, clothing, like on the suspenders. And you the still shirt. do the goat sacrifice as the climax of your act, right? Uh, yes, but we have sex with them first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a, there's a sweetness to it, and then we also can bring That's in. It's called making love. You're making making love, and then we bring in the puritanical hate. If the goat has an orgasm, and then use that to kill it for that reason, I, so it's a punishment thing. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a justice. Justice matters. Justice matters. That's a yes and with a capital A and D. That is a, a yes fucking and. And I'm gonna slam the door shut. I'm gonna yes and. I'm gonna board this up and I'm gonna salt the earth so no other jokes can live here. All you ever do in improv is you say to somebody. I'm now going to hit you in the face as hard as I can. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, combat improv. <laughs> and, you know, you get it on tape. We had to comp- I had to complete okay. Uh, you're not supposed to say no. No, no I- I'm not kidding. I'm going to hit you in the face really hard. <laughs> yes. Someone's- and- oh, God damn it. Yes, and I will try to run away. No, no. No, <laughs> no you can't say yes, I can't. Well, I heard Ben. I heard him say on a podcast, like someone, a friend of mine heard that a friend of his heard that Penn Gillette said they definitely have sex with goats in the climax of their show, and then that ultimately kills the goat. It's crazy. I don't know how. Yeah, that's what actually. Happens. I think having sex with a goat doesn't kill it. No, having sex with the chicken does. Oh. <laughs> Well, this is a, a day of learning. I'm so glad to know this. I'm not sure it's always across the board. You probably well, could kill. I'm glad you told me that because of my five o'clock <laughs> was. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, and there's a, there was a great article in the Times uh, a few weeks ago that when um, future paleontologists, which I guess is not the right word, but when people, you know, 100,000 years from now, whatever sort of thing is looking at us, they will see, or maybe I'm talking about a million, they will see this period as the time of the chicken because the the life force that has most grown over this past time is chickens. Oh, my gosh. Because uh, uh, human beings have genetically modified the chicken so greatly 
and had so many of them. Then we look at this period in the strata, in the uh, in the in. So the, we're in the chicken age. We're in the chicken age. The neo chicken age would be coming after. And uh, we're in meso chicken now. Because you know we're in we have, we've created these things. You know this is. I would have gone into the sciences had it not been for my lack of intelligence. One <laughs> and two, a teacher who didn't answer a question that was burning in me as a junior high student, which I raised my hand and said, where are the wild cows and chickens? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boy, that question bothered me. And I couldn't find an answer to it. They would just go, oh, no, there's always been. Well, there haven't always been chickens. And there haven't always been cows. We created them with genetic modifications. And you, you know the experiment they're doing with dogs in Russia? No. Oh, you're going to love this. Oh, am I? <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy people which is important, Yeah, starting in like the 40s, wanted to see how quickly they could make dogs. Out of, just out invent dogs out of scratch? <laughs> so they took wolves, right? Mm-hmm. And they brought them in. And this, this research ends up being illegal for some reason. Right. They bring wolves in and then they allow the wolves that seem a little friendlier toward them to breed, mm-hmm. and they let the other ones go. They get, they get the wolves get married. One gets a job, <laughs> yeah. you know. They, and they just, uh, they just kept doing. I've been mean, doing this since the forties, and they're still doing it. And they have got in a very few generations. I mean, that's what you know, uh, eighty, seventy years, right? They have gotten the dog. Their their ears have gotten floppier, right? Their faces have flattened out. They've gotten all the stuff that we associate with dogs and not with wolves. Wow. By just picking the friendly ones. Wow. That's all they're doing is picking the friendly ones and letting them breed. And we have made such changes to my children, and it's not me because I don't like living with things in my house Mm -hmm. that live. My children love dogs. So we have got a dog. And my relationship with this dog is um, cordial. (laughs) <laughs> we try to be polite to one another Mr. but there Jenkins? is there's no affection ben? there's no affection what's your dog's name my our dog's name is tater his okay. full name is potato fuckhead gillette and i insisted with the children that his middle name be fuckhead which they didn't want because i insisted it also be in the collar okay and they said dad we don't want cursing on the collar and i said the show bullshit put you in private school <laughs> now <laughs> no, fuckhead goes on the collar um, <laughs> you go to that fancy math school good fuckhead that's what put you there i had a few rules that it had to be a standard poodle. Okay. And it had to have a continental cut so it looked very, very like Zsa Zsa Gabor would have this. I wanted the pom-poms here and there. <laughs> and um, it also had to be called, in, refer- in, uh, in uh, uh, deference to Frank Zappa, always referred to as a poodle dog. Okay. And not dog or poodle, but poodle dog. Okay. And uh, they wanted a dog so bad they went with all of those things. But this thing that lives in our house would not last in the wild 15 minutes. I mean, well, we have changed animals so maybe, much. Maybe, or this poodle would be like the DJ of wolves. Like, <laughs> fancy, figure out how to socialize. Yeah, yeah, maybe. You know, the question isn't how do you turn a wolf into a dog, it's how do you upbreed a poodle into a wolf? How many yeah. generations before you can upbreed a poodle to Just a wolf? Get a, get a mean. Yeah. 
But you know, D- Darwin was obsessed with uh, with with dog breeding and um, and also pigeons. Mm-hmm. You know, he was. Those things tend to be, and this is we don't even know why zebras. We can't do jack shit with zebras. They're not super cool. No, we can't find a way to breed zebras into being pleasant. Zebras are fuck you no matter what. No matter what. Yeah, they're <laughs> punk. They're just fucking punk all <laughs> yeah. the time. And there's all sorts of animals that we just couldn't we couldn't find. Zebras a way. are punk and they never sign with a major label. <laughs> never. You never you're never gonna have you're never gonna say zebras used to be cool. Zebras are cool. Fugazi. <laughs> 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 they're still around. They will kick you. Working. They will bite you. They will shit on you. If you can even get near them. Right. <laughs> they don't even want you no. near them. No. Because there's a, there's a herd of zebras in Central California. And sometimes their set will be a half an hour. Sometimes, sometimes they don't five, show up. Four hours. Sometimes they don't, they don't show up at all. Yeah. yeah, you know. So, no. <laughs> they are. That's totally right. Yeah. And we, there's no way to, to breed that out of them. We haven't found a way. No. And why would we? Like, what's the fucking point? Why? I know. They've already got the punk colors. They yeah, exactly. Now, zebras, um, there's always the question with animals on whether they are white with black stripes or black with white stripes. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe zebras' skin match their hair, which is crazy. Okay. If you shave a zebra... Give me a call. But if you, sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's my six o'clock. <laughs> but yeah. if you shave a zebra. It's going to fuck a chicken, shave a zebra. I still believe they have the stripes. Oh. but That's just the hair. Yeah. Tiger is, uh, uh, I think they their stripes are just on the fur. Okay. And polar bears, uh, essentially their hair has no color. It's fiber optics. It's pulling in the light. Oh, I didn't know that. That's good stuff to know. That is good stuff to know when any of those animals are murdering you. But you I can mean, get an up-close look I, and I, figure There's just that guy who just strangled the uh, uh, wildcat. Did you see this? What? No. Front page of the New York Times. When you – a, a hiker – a, a rock climber. Yeah. That's, that's an important part. Sure. You know, rock climbers do those pull-ups on their fingers. Yeah, exactly. A rock climber was attacked by a mountain lion. Grabbed it around the neck and strangled it as it was biting it. Oh my God. Why is it heat present? <laughs> he could run on that platform yeah, alone. Sure. sure. Yeah. I, I strangled the wildcat. I just strangled the fucking. Uh, yeah. yeah. My yeah. vote. What are you going to do? Yeah, my vote. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the kind of person we need. My opponent. <laughs> <laughs> my opponent can't get his cat off the kitchen table. I strangled. <laughs> A fucking wildcat. While climbing a mountain. With my, with bare, my bare hands. hands. Yeah. yeah. Both doing both my bare hands. I climb with bare hands, struggle with bare hands. I did both those things. With my dick in a chicken. <laughs> and a little later, I'll be shaving a zebra. <laughs> Good night, you guys. I'll see you at the White House. Yeah, you guys see you at the White House. <laughs> Tip your secret service. <laughs> Try the clamp puffs. <laughs> That's exactly. In the White Horse Correspondence Center, should just be someone like just like wrestling a fucking animal, just like wrestling a zebra, wrestling. Well, I used to ask this question uh, to people. I've never asked you. Okay. What do you think is the largest animal you could kill with your bare hands? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, you just mean physically, not like ethically. No, no, ethically, ethically would be nothing. Yeah. And stupid people say stuff like a cow. And I'll give you a little hint. You could never kill a cow with your bare hands. I'll give you a little hint. Before you even start thinking about this, stay away from predators. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course. Any kind of predators. They didn't have to be apex predators. Just any kind of predators. Yeah. Any kind of predator. Any kind of animal that hunts another animal. Even herbivores, though. I mean, listen. If you were, I'm I, just going to tell you. I think it's really hard. Of course, it's really hard. <laughs> of course, it's really hard because you know what's happened now is that at one time humans were like wolves, and now we're fucking fluffy poodles. We're yes, fluffy poodles, exactly. So we're not. Just like your standard poodle with the Jaja Gabor cut. Uh, see, even walking across the pen barefoot and naked, I'm uncomfortable. My I don't feet even, hurt. I would not walk outside without shoes on, period. Exactly, exactly. I'll step on a piece of glass. I'll get a rock in my toe. Yeah. Like, I'm not designed. Or you'd step where someone spit. Yeah, it's just, it's horrible. It's, <laughs> you have to not care about that yeah. stuff. You have to. You, that's that great moment in the Terminator when he appears naked in the garbage yes. stuff. And you say, okay, we're not fucking with this guy. Yes, you have to. You, what's one of the things that separates us from animals is that animals will eat their own shit to or throw up to get extra nutrients out of it. Sure, uh, or they'll eat other animals' shit to get. That's what used to happen all the time. I had a dog and a cat, and the dog would sometimes, or the the dog would sometimes go into the cat's litter box for some. I, I also love snacks. the fact that you try to make it um, some sort of really important evolution. They're getting other nutrients. Yeah, 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 yeah. They might also have nothing else to do, or it's just how they get hard. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you don't but, know. Yeah, uh, maybe my dog just got really super turned on by cat shit. I have yeah, no idea. But uh, yeah, but I don't even think. So I'm thinking like, okay. The only way, the only thing, the only way I think you could take down a cow barehanded, you know, like obviously if you had a knife, you, you, you if you have a knife, you'd have shoes, you'd have a jock strap, you get nothing. You'd have to nothing, Harwick. You go no bowling ball. You'd have to, <laughs> you'd have to get your hand in the cow's mouth and try to choke it, like like to try to block its air passage. I think that'd be I, the only I, way you could do. Give it. up on cow. You no. had no chance. No, no, no. I agree. I agree. Some dipshit when I talked about this said giraffe. I just wrap it around. What are you crazy? A giraffe will fuck you up. <laughs> exactly. If you because when you think about the momentum that can be created by the the length of their neck, and they have the they have those fucking hard horn like appendages at the top of their head. There are videos of like giraffes fucking up like tigers. Yeah. Like they just swoop yeah. down and they launch them in the air. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and they hit hooves. I mean, they're basically. Hooves. They're basically like spaghetti horses, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they're they're fucking yeah. horses with so, super powerful necks. Maybe the guy that strangled the the well, little wildcat could do it. Yeah, but I don't think I, in general. I have no preconceived notions about me being a a, a tough nature guy. Well, like, I also I can't. I, I also I've, I've never I've never even fought a person. No, me neither. I, I've never hit a I've never hit a person in anger. Nope. You know, I, and you've never been hit in anger. Oh, I have been hit in anger. Oh, you have, yeah. And this never hit back. My dad taught me when someone hits you and then you hit them back, that it's their turn again. <laughs> no, I've been. Uh, I have seen. You know, because I I was. Um, I just hitchhiked around the country for a couple of years. I was essentially homeless, you know, hopping trains. I really did that and hitchhiked and stuff. Oh wow! So I would I would be like juggling in biker bars for money. Did they like that? Rarely. <laughs> 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 I, I just had this this fantasy that somehow it's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, I don't know. That's pretty good. Sometimes it was. Yeah. Sometimes I, they thought I was funny and a good juggler. Sometimes they didn't. And uh, I had occasionally, uh, I was in a rough situation. And um, uh, I, have been, I have been hit and uh, di- didn't like it. No. At all. No. But I didn't want to hit back. I, I, I don't think I, we didn't even deal with the ethical thing. But I would have a great deal of trouble killing a. Wild turkey, unethical reasons. Yeah, I mean, that's I, one of the reasons when when you 
it seems like if you want to eat meat, you should be able to feel that you could kill those things that you're going to eat. Well, Not only with your bare hands, Doc. I don't need that ethically. kind of cognitive dissonance in my life. <laughs> well, that's – you know, when my wife and I went to Japan um, – Everything that we ate, like, still had the faces on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, so we would get these meals where it was just like, you know, like a fish from the pond out behind the hotel we were staying mm-hmm. at. And you just, you were supposed to, like, eat the face. And I just found it such an interesting cultural difference that we try so hard to disguise our, to disguise what we're eating. Mm-hmm. I'm sure just as a way of not dealing with the sort of, with the cognitive dissonance that we might have based, you know, with like, oh, yeah, this was a living thing that I got. I mean, some people love that, but, you know, yeah. But we, de- of course, we disguise our food. You know, bacon looks like a like and we even, piece of cardboard. We even, we even change the name of it. Yeah, you know, we go we go from beef. You know, from from cow. Right. You know, we we change the you know we 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 change the words and you know we use pork instead of pig. That's right. You know, we we go to the French. We go to the French words or bacon. We just call it bacon yeah. instead of you know pig. Stuff. And, and soon there'll be a whole different issue because soon there'll be what's called clean meat. I don't think that's too far away. When they have you know. Um, Meat that's grown mm-hmm. from just cells and is not – never was part of an animal, never was uh, sentient. I would totally eat that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now it's uh, – I think it's like uh, $100,000 for a hamburger. Ah, it, you know what? It'll Too come rich down. Too for my blood. It will come down. It will come down. Well, the first iPhone, wicked expensive. It's very expensive. First one. <laughs> Boy, remember those? You know, there's like those uh, the old, old computers. You know, it's like you know, Univax. Yeah, the Univ. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, yeah. then they come down. That's not. I think when we could like 3D print a steak. Yeah. Or 3D print. Yeah, it's just change. like a. It'll be just a health. It'll be just a health issue. That's a great idea. How long were you in Japan? We were only there for two and a half weeks. Like a vacation thing? It was our honeymoon, but oh. I really wish we could have spent more time why did, there. Why did you go to Japan on your honeymoon? Because – Why uh, not Niagara Falls? Beca- That's in America. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're not Amer- – It's good enough. Yeah. You know. It's good enough for a lot of Americans. Good, good enough for Mary Why don't you Monroe. get the fu- – why don't you go fucking – why don't go you marry to- Japan? <laughs> uh, why don't you go to – why don't you go to Niagara Falls on a honeymoon with Japan exactly. that you should marry yeah. if you love it so much? Yeah. Well, we um, – I don't know. We both uh, had always wanted to – Lydia had only ever been in Japan for like – you know, she went there for a job and was there for, you know, 20 hours one time. And I'd never been and always wanted to go and just thought it seemed like a really beautiful place to go. And it was. And it, it absolutely did not disappoint. And I don't wish we could have yeah, I was only there. I was only in the Tokyo airport on my way to uh, China. It's uh, but we're, place we're going over in March. It is stunning. So you, you'll definitely want to spend, you know, a couple days in Tokyo. You'll want to see Shibuya. You'll want to go see uh, Tsuch- uh, Tsukiji Fish Markets. You'll want to go – well, no, you won't because you're vegan. But you'll want to see like a lot of the, you know, the things of, that we think of like electronic Tokyo. Like you'll want to experience yeah. all that. It's beautiful. But then you just hop on that maglev train and you can go pretty much anywhere. And did you go to Kobe? We no, we went to uh, we went to. Kyoto. You know, so I said Kobe instead of Kobe. Co- Is that cool? Uh, Chile. 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 We went to Chile. Um, we went to uh, Kyoto, Nara, Hakone. Um, uh, we went to one other. Is that it? But basically, you know, we, you'd go to a village where it's like, oh, these. There's a handful of um, Ogimachi Village is basically this collection of thatch-roofed homes 
that had been passed down for like 13 generations. And every, you know... They could have started out as wolves. They could have started out as wolves. (laughs) Every decade or so, they remake the the roof thatching. And it's, you know, it's... the, 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 The age of the culture is incredible. And the... You know, you can go from super modern city to traditional village in a in a blink of an eye, and I don't know. I just we really loved it. We yeah, really loved it. about being in in Europe. You know, you you say people tell you things are like hundreds and hundreds of years old. Yeah, and I say in Vegas, after five years, we blow shit up. <laughs> Vegas <laughs> blow does, it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vegas, we blow shit up right Vegas away. Vegas is basically the etch a sketch of America. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah, oh, okay, that and we then got we that. Do, then we do this thing, which I just love. They they implode the building. They videotape that. Mm-hmm. They build another building. They put video wall in front of it, and they play the blowing up of the original building on there <laughs> oh my God. just to keep the new building in line. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. We're projecting Fuck, yeah. this right in front of you. What was it? What was the building? It's kind of halfway down the strip where it was supposed to be twice as tall, but all the rebar was installed wrong, so it's just kind oh, of yeah, stubby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Glenn will be able to tell that. I don't know. I, yeah. It, uh, but it is – it's funny that – at a certain point, Vegas was like, like it is. It is a collection of identities mm-hmm. sewn together to create its own identity, just, just with avarice, yeah, and with with a great deal of humility. Because you notice, there's a New York, New York. Yep. There's a Rio. There's a Monte Carlo. There's a Paris. Yep. No Vegas. <laughs> no, there's no Vegas. No, no Vegas casino. Well, Vegas casino is kind of like downtown, right? right yeah, yeah, there's like, they're, yeah, they're down that, there. That's right. that's Vegas. Those are Vegas casinos, but that's kind of that's and come now back too. Uh, there are you know Vegas uh, downtown Fremont Street has street performers there now. Right. And oh, that's like, nice. So you can. Spend $20 to kick a guy in the nuts as hard as you That's one of the acts down there. You can also staple $20 bills onto people's chests. Oh, my gosh. Those are some of the acts that are down there. Do you take a stroll down there? I like to go. Uh, I, it's very hard to convince my friends to go with me. They're very creeped out. But I like Fremont Street. Really? I would imagine. I mean, it's like just your aesthetic and your vibe. I like mean, I, you, I, you would I'm love carny it. trash. Yeah. So I go down there. You know, there's uh, people dressed as Kiss, yep. who you know are not really Kiss because no. they have enormous dicks. And they wear just uh, the slightest little, uh, what do they call that, a banana hammock, I guess? Yep, right. Yeah, right. And you can take a picture of you with a guy with Kiss makeup and an enormous dick for $20. That is. And then you can take a picture with topless women. And you can also probably get an enormous dick and topless at the same time. Whatever you need or want. And uh, you can also, which I would not, I would be very, very uncomfortable kicking someone in the balls. And I asked somebody, because uh, my background is carny, <laughs> I said to uh, somebody down there, because I, I, I'd like to be with it, with it for it, never against it, sure. in the carny. Yeah. I'd like to consider myself an insider. Absolutely. So I walked over and said, oh, what's the G on the uh, kicking in the kicking the nuts thing? And the G means the, the gaff. Yeah. What's the trick on it? Yeah. The guy said, oh, they just get kicked in the nuts. They're mostly like meth heads. Oh, my I went, God. There's, there's no trick? You know, no. Some of them get pretty fucked up. I guess the G is the meth. <laughs> <laughs> or something. I, yeah. I don't know. But I just went. So there's no. Uh, I was thinking there must be there's some sort of. They have a way of taping them up their asshole or something. I would. <laughs> I mean, if you told me, well, Ben, we got to do this thing. 
where you're going to get kicked in the balls really, really hard. And I'd say, what's the examination like before? Can I stick a cup in? Are we going to yeah. You say, no, no, we're going to have to. I would probably say, let's find a way to hide my balls in some different place. <laughs> so I'm mostly being kicked in the dick. <laughs> Because being kicked in the dick, that what that, that costs five fifty bucks to get that. Oh my so gosh! It's the uh, yeah. That, but I have when you have my personality, mm-hmm. you get kicked in the balls. Yeah, you mean people want to come up and kick I you. have been, I have been badly. Oh man! As a matter of fact, I'll tell you how badly I've been kicked in the balls. <laughs> I've been kicked in the balls so badly that when I went in to get my vasectomy, okay, I went in to get my vasectomy. Most of the work is done. Okay, and uh I, I had this guy, uh, and, and of course, when we were doing uh, my vasectomy, my wife was kind of um, uh, live tweeting. Oh, fantastic. She was, she was taking pictures of them cutting into mm-hmm. my dick. Yep. Uh, the doctor, who was a man uh, born in India, I think, uh, was there cutting into my ball sack. And he said to me, I'm so proud of this. He said to me, uh, you, you, you skate punk? I said, what? He said, are you a skate punk? I said, skate punk? He said, do you skateboard? I said, no, I don't skateboard. He said, oh, we we don't usually see this kind of damage oh except on skaters. God. He said, you made the operation very hard. He said, as a matter of fact, uh, urologists, if they think a guy like is like 30 and has had a couple of kids and wants a vasectomy and he's got skate patches on him or something – they won't take them. Why? What? What is it? What's the complication? There's so much scar tissue around oh where you have to cut God. because they've hit railings over and over. So again. many times. And he said, "Where did you? Where did you get this?" And I said, "Well, I've just I've had a few uh, a few times that uh, people have kicked me in the balls." <laughs> and, uh, he said, "Well, it's made you look like a skater." <laughs> did he do this joke? Is this your spark? <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm just yeah, a big yeah. fan. Yeah. Um, it was. Uh, it was, did he do? Did he do the trick where he took your epididymis and then <laughs> snipped it, and then it was intact, and yeah. then like in the put? Yeah, have another kid. Yeah. <laughs> and we had a great conversation where he said, "Which I see, I don't expect anybody to be uncomfortable in any situation. I don't tend to be uncomfortable." Right. So he said to me after we had the consultation, he said, uh, "I have to, I have to." Uh, uh, reach down your pants now and, and, and examine your testicles. And you're like, is this part of the operation? He's like, oh, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> and so I said to him, I said, sure, I don't care. You can do whatever you want. I said, you can blow me if you want. <laughs> and then he said, you'd have to pay me. And I, there was a long pause and I said, I am paying you. <laughs> <laughs> and then he kicked you in the balls. <laughs> oh, that's how it happens. That's how it happened. Um, was it was a success? The vasectomy was a success. It was, but it was very, very bloody. And I'll tell you, you, you have not had a vasectomy. No, I'll tell you something. It's the greatest thing in the world because um, with 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 biological gender differences, men have done this wonderful job, fabulous job of saying that a vasectomy is a big deal. It's nothing. Okay, I had a really complicated one that everything went wrong and it was terrible and horribly painful. Still nothing. No big deal. But since guys have been so careful about this, you know, in relationships of how this is a big deal, you get this sympathy. So I was able, get this, I was able to sit on my couch for two days with frozen peas on my balls (laughs) watching the Three Stooges with my friends. (laughs) 
How appropriate. You know how, you know how, how many times I've been able to spend two days of my adulthood watching the Stooges? Now, I will tell you, if you give me right now two days without that fucking dog around yep. and without having to work, sitting with my friends watching the Three Stooges, you can kick me in the nuts as hard as any any time. <laughs> any time. You can cut any... So anytime you can volunteer for that. Remember, frozen peas on your balls watching the Stooges. And, you know, maybe... Yeah, maybe your wife or your friends will come in and go, uh, hey, uh, Chris, can we, you've been sitting here. you got the vasectomy. You don't want to be running around. Can we get you any food or anything? You go, I, I don't know. I'd like some nachos. And they go, oh, we'll go get you some nachos. Uh, give me some popcorn, please. Sure. Uh, yeah. How, how did you not push that past the two days? I did. Oh, good. Because my doctor said this is terrible, and I had to go back in and stuff. So I was in a huge amount of pain, which, by the way, is nothing, mm-hmm. okay? Because I've had pain. You know, I did some surgeries without anesthetics just because I thought it was funny. So I know I know about pain, <laughs> and it was nothing, okay? But I was kind of going like, oh, I don't know if I should. Oh, I have to be, oh, geez. And, I, you know, a couple of my friends flew in. I just said, I'm going to get my, my balls cut off, and then we're going to watch Stooges. And they went, I'm there. Well, they didn't cut your balls no, off. They they just, no, they didn't. They just, uh, they yeah. just uh, they go in there sealed cut. off the plumbing. But boy, was it bloody, because I had all this scar tissue. Wow, just from getting but you know, balls. When's the last time you were able to watch more than 15 minutes of Stooges with your friends? I mean, I, oh, it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. I actually haven't watched the Stooges in a really long time. Well, you know, they've done the restoration on the Stooges. Is so good it's creepy. You know, like what do they do? They just cleaned up the footage. They cleaned up everything, so it looks like the Stooges are like there. It looks like it's like video of the Stooges. I had always heard you know, there was all these sort of stories that oh well, you know, Mo was a delivery guy in later years, and they didn't make any money from it. They didn't. But then I had also heard oh no, that wasn't true. It's they actually true. they wisely invested their money, and that they were they were they Mo. Was very, very, um, he felt put upon and he felt they were treated badly. But all the finances are out there and they were paid very well. Oh, good. Now, uh, were they paid uh, well enough for how successful they were? They certainly got screwed on residuals. You know, mm-hmm. if you were making the deal now, but they didn't know it was going to go to video. They wouldn't. You know? they, how could they have known? Right. How could they have possibly known? Right. You're right. doing this thing now, but in 30 years, there's going to be another technology by which this is going to play all the time in everyone's home. And which and Larry was very bothered by that because um, I, I tend to – people who think that movies are like forever mm-hmm. – Drive me crazy. Movies are just like a live show that just happens to show for a few more years, mm-hmm. you know, just because it goes away. But um, Larry was very upset because those shorts were made to be watched six months apart, right? So they would steal gags from from things they had done before because there would be an, enough of a space in between that it was just another, we're seeing the Stooges on this tour. Oh, yeah, you never had to worry about, oh, never. that's right, yeah. So that would just, you know, the, they would come out, your 20-minute show would come out, you know, if you were one of the Stooges, which if you were one of the Stooges, oh, it would be so wonderful. It would be great. It would be great. I don't know what's going to happen. You also know that um, Buddy Hackett was asked to replace Curly Howard when Curly had his stroke. And he's, he, obviously he didn't do it. Yeah. Wouldn't that be something? That would have been incredible. Mo, Larry, and Buddy. <laughs> well, anyway, um, the, um, so you'd put out, you know, you're, you're the Stooges, you're working, which, by the way, working out of the exact same studio and offices that bullshit was done. 
Was that by design? <laughs> I was very happy. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, so um, uh, you do your you do your twenty minute reeler, right? It would go out and play all over the country, do the whole thing. Then you put another one together, and you'd go, you know, that thing we did that worked pretty well. Let's throw that in. So Larry was horrified to find out people were watching them, you know, three hours watching five of them in a row. He was like, no, you they can't that you can't watch them like that. They're meant to, you know. So even, funny. Even Larry was going, you can't take that much well, stooges. This, this, this brings up this brings up an interesting point, which is when I think about. I mean, I I don't. I'm actually surprised I didn't go into magic, but you know, comedy is the very close cousin to probably the closest cousin well, to magic. Much higher up. Yeah. Magic is much lower. Down. <laughs> oh, you think magic. So? Well, but magic, mime, ventriloquism, juggling. Right there on the bottom. You think so? And comedy's way above. Well, I, I, to, the thing about magic to me is that I always just assume like, well, there's only a finite number of gags exactly. that you have to basically just figure out how to re-present over and over and over. And, over. I, and I have to try to conceal that from our audiences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to see the shows back to back. You have to see them six exactly. months apart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to ask you if I – because I'm 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 a non-magician member at the Magic Castle. Oh good. And I had asked You know, you know those are the highest ranks at the Magic Castle to us, you know, performing members. No. Oh no, you're right. It's not. No. It's we're we're memories. way at the bottom. Yeah, exactly. I can't go in that fancy library that I mm-hmm. always see the door shut. Uh so I said to someone uh Oh, uh, you know, I I'm I juggle. Can I get in as a juggler? And they were like, <laughs> no, it's not the same. Like the disdain for even asking if I could try to get in as a magician member just as a juggler was. Magicians do not like jugglers. I gathered and that. I, I started out as a juggler. <laughs> you know, that was my thing. I was a juggler and then moved into magic. Oh, because, yeah. And, uh, uh, and there's a different kind of personality. You know, uh, magicians are uh, – because that's because you walk into a room. And every juggler knows how good he is. Okay. Or, or she is. Yeah. You know, you see a juggling convention, you walk in, and everybody knows how good everybody is. There are no secrets. But in magic, what are you going to do? I'm real magic? <laughs> I really, you know, there's no, it's, 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 it's amorphous, it's subjective. But juggling is really objective. I guess it is. You know, they're in the air or they're on the ground. I, we, they used to call that uh, WYSIWYG, what you see is what you yeah, get. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 you really know. So and there's no way to fake it. There you, you can't. You can't fake it. No. There's no way to walk in with swagger and go. You know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm a pretty good juggler. Because you know, five seconds from then they go here. Oh yeah, he's just pretty good. He's not that good. My wife keeps telling me like you should juggle in your act, and I'm like, sweetie, you don't understand. I can't. It just no. We, do we like this house? Do you want to make money? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not that good of a juggler. I'm just no, an okay. No, juggler. What I mean is that, that oh yeah, the, yeah, oh yeah, right. Income, the, yeah, the steep decline. Yeah, yeah. The steep I mean, decline. there's a there's a lot of jugglers who um, who decided juggling was the way to make money. Johnny Carson, mm-hmm. Steve Martin, yep. W.C. Fields. And they, they all, all went fish. They all did no, take a turn out of that. We probably shouldn't do this. Yeah, we, that's we not going to. money. That's fine when you're Steve Martin juggling at Disneyland when you're a kid, but not. Yeah, yeah, uh, but as a career, it's not. Uh, Tom Hanks. 
Also a juggler. Yeah, Tom Hanks, not bad. Not a bad juggler. Because of Peter Scolari, I think. I think Peter taught him because Peter Scolari was yeah. an insane – Peter's yeah. the one who taught me how to juggle yeah. when I was like 18 years old. He's a good juggler. He's a, he's a good juggler. But um, I want – I really want to pass clubs to Tom Hanks. I did a favor for Tom Hanks, pulled a thorn out of his paw. And he said, I, I owe you one, man. I said, let's juggle. He's like, oh, because he's not going to warm up. <laughs> See, he knows how good he is. Yeah. Actor, pretty good. Real good. Yeah. yeah. But juggler, juggler got to warm up. We know. Yeah. We know. So what is, as we're wrapping this up, and we kind of skirted around the topic a little bit of, of genius, defining genius, being obsessed with genius. I love telling people, like, don't. Don't worry about that. Don't be intimidated by people who seem like they know more than you. Just put in the time, put in the work, show up. And that, I believe, is worth more than people going, oh, this guy. Is- I tell my children, all you've got to do is show up on time and do what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then my son says, that's only one thing. Because if you say you're going to show up at a certain time, <laughs> that's doing what you say you're going to do. I go, okay, shut up. <laughs> You're fired from this family. You're fired. Take the dog and get the fuck out of my prison. But Because um, your house is a prison. Yeah. yeah. No, not anymore. I oh, blew, you got, blew, got rid of the I prison? up. You blew up the prison house? I drove a tank through it. Di- and did you play the I video of you threw, playing when you were building yeah, the new house? I actually okay, threw a, I drove a real t- – I didn't drive it because you can't be over 5'6 and drive a Polish tank from the 40s, as you know. Of course. Yeah. I think as everyone you know. knows that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I couldn't – you couldn't get my ass into a tank. Uh, but I had someone else. I hired someone to drive a tank through my house. It was pretty great. That is fantastic. How many, how many guys do you know personally watched a tank drive through their house? No more than 10. And then I moved into a gated community because it turns out uh, children uh, don't want to live in the middle of nowhere in a prison. <laughs> um, so now my children live in a nice gated community across the street from Santana. Oh, nice. And uh, they get to uh, – they can walk to their friends' houses and stuff. And Are they friends with Santana? No, they're not. He's so smooth. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't your Santana person. That's your Rob. That was Rob Thomas, yeah. yes. But it's – that's when I think of Santana. When I – you know, Santana – an amazing guitar player. But when I hear his name, all I hear is, oh, it's just like the ocean under the moon. And it's like he's done so many things. But that's the thing that pops into my head. So show up on time. Do what you say you're going to do. Which are the same thing. Which are the same thing. <laughs> and put in the work. Yeah. Put in the fucking do, work. Do that stuff. And, and uh, also, uh, you know, um, I think don't be scared. I mean, really know what the what the downside is. I'll tell you. Uh, there's the, Teller has often said that my most useful quality is I am always completely prepared for the worst to happen, mm-hmm. and uh, I then sign off on that and go, okay, we can do this. And uh, the story that uh, when we went off Broadway, we had uh, uh, Teller wrote the contract. And I did all the negotiation. We had no manager, no nothing to, for us to go off Broadway. And we had uh, return tickets. We had stuff paid in advance. We had in the contract, they would not unload the truck or load it afterwards. We had pages and pages for how to deal with our, broad, our off-Broadway run tanking. We were everything was planned, and I, my, my my girlfriend in California, I had planned when I would be back after we'd get the bad reviews and come right back and we'll do this, <laughs> and how we're going to make it through the rest of the summer, and I'll be able to get this job. It was all laid out in meticulous detail, and then uh, we were hit off Broadway, and we got agents who looked at the contract and said, "There's there's no provision for success. There's not one sentence of if the 
if the investors get paid back, Penn and Teller get more money. There's not a sentence <laughs> in there for failure. about going to Broadway. There's not a sentence in there. And I believe it's exactly the opposite. I don't believe you set your sights on where you're going to go and plan for the upside, plan for the downside. Because if we had had that go as badly as it could have, we would have been fine. You could have done both. Yeah. You could have said the play the best. And we also. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Where, where were you? hundred percent of you and hundred percent of the show. You were like four years old. I was that was four the years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could have. You, t- you could have come to us. Listen, guys. I love what you're doing on the yeah, downside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, play to the upside. Also, get the other side as well. You can imagine what a mess it was. To try to go on Broadway with a show that nobody knew what the contract was. Oh, my God. It was insane. Well, I'm so glad you were here, and I appreciate you coming back on. And it's this, been a lot. Am I really the first one in here? You're the, the second person. I did a podcast earlier than you, a director named Darren Lynn Bowsman, who's a horror director and an amateur magician, and he wanted me to oh, tell that, you that he loves uh, it. W- he did Repo, the genetic oh, opera. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was not, uh, you're saying H-O-R-R-O-R. Horror. Horror director. Yeah, Because that would just director. be yeah, totally redundant. Thing, totally redundant. Thing, yeah, totally redundant. Redundant. Everybody is <laughs> on our business. Yeah, yeah. everybody's. Yeah, that's what we a do. horror director. Horror. Um, were you amazed at the? I, I've gone down so many YouTube fool us rabbit holes. <laughs> Did were you amazed by the fact of you guys being fooled, being this insane like 10, 15 million people like watching magicians <laughs> fool you? Like what that that. Uh, you don't get into magic because you like fooling people. You get into magic because you like being fooled. Yeah. It's a great feeling. And you end up chasing that first high because it gets harder and harder. Of course. To be fooled. So having them as they are now, they are combing the globe trying to find people that come on the show uh, because we've done six seasons and we've had – I forgot what it is. It's uh, – hundreds and hundreds of uh, magicians on and uh, they still have to find another season. So we love it being fooled. Although we'll tell you, if you come out and say you're a card magician from Spain, we just go take the trophy. (laughs) (laughs) Spain owns card magic now. Really? Because of a guy named Juan Tamaris. One guy who just, uh, all these protégés he has, and all these people that practice like freaks. If you come out with a heavy Spanish accent with a deck of cards, tell her I both go, oh, fuck. We're fooled. Go ahead. Yeah. But, uh, Muchas gracias. You, you win. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, uh, it's wonderful. It's also the weirdest show in the world because we are producers. Right. And can do nothing. Right, because we play very fair. I mean, it's ridiculous how. Oh yeah, fair you can't we play. be involved because you can't. So we know. can't know who anybody. As a matter of fact, the offices are right near here, and my manager's going by, and I can't, because they might have something on the wall that says oh, someone's right. name or a trick or something. So we're completely shut eye, no idea, and we go in and sit down, and there's n- nothing, and then dead panic. <laughs> oh my god! Dead panic, absolute. Jacked up adrenaline out of our minds, but no preparation, nothing. I mean, there's absolutely no rehearsal beforehand, right? It's just they come out, and there have been some. There have been some that have been pretty funny. There was one poor bastard that they pushed out one of his props, and one of his assistants came out, and you know we're we're mic'd up. And they're listening in the truck, and we have earpieces in. And his, as they pushed out the prop, Teller went, um, uh, 
trapdoor upstage left, and then he will switch for the assistant who will be uh, who will be in the hood over stage right, and that'll be the end of the execution scene. He will appear out of there. He'll appear right there. And they said, boys, let the guy at least get his props on stage. Oh, no. <laughs> I said so. We they said you've got it, but the magician isn't even on stage yet. But if you weren't that meticulous, it wouldn't make sense <laughs> yeah, if they fooled you. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. like if I did fool us, be like, "Fuck, that was great." I got it. I don't know. Gosh, you got me again. Yeah. Like I'm the person that doesn't want it. And the other thing I, I I love doing, and the thing I'm most proud of, and the thing that's hardest on the show for me, is I have to talk in code because my goal is, if you're a 14, 15 year old girl watching the show in Nebraska, and you really want to learn magic, if you listen to everything I say and search every one of those terms, you will find where that trick is. Oh, wow. I give away everything. I do it with puns. I do, I'll, I'll say, uh, you like turtles? And that means they're using a coin shell. You know, I do, oh, I do wow. all that kind of It's always in there. And we have uh, a lot of um, uh, young people come to our show and say, uh, I didn't think I'd ever get that one. Then I realized you weren't actually saying the word we thought you were saying was actually a pun. And I searched for that and the whole trick is there. Oh, man. See, I don't want to know any of it. I don't want to yeah. know any of it. Well, I try to keep it that way so you don't have to. Yeah, my, 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 my pal Justin Willman uh, oh, sure. is a fucking amazing magician. And uh, I never want to know anything that he does. Because I just love, I love, I, I love being fooled. Bias. Yeah, it's a great I, feeling. I love being it's mystical. A, it's a, so it's a great, that, great that's kind of the other thing too. Is that if I were in on it, I'd be like, "Oh, that's what that is." Oh, oh yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. Know that. It's just, it's just you need a sophistication and practice to be able to come out the other side of the sadness. <laughs> you know, you really do. You really do. When you say, "Oh, it's just that," and then you go, "Oh no, it's it's not just that." Right. It's another million things that are all beautiful and are all art that are woven all, together to all... make it. Yeah, because I guess that's just the foundational element yeah, of it. It's like you can look at a chord sheet for Bob Dylan. Right. Say, "Oh, that's an A. That's a G. Yeah, that's yeah. this." And then say, "Well, no, I think maybe Tangled Up in Blue is more than that." Or you're watching stand up and you go, "Okay, that's a dick joke. That's a joke about marriage. Yeah, that's yeah. a joke about babies. That's a joke about yeah. groceries. That's about oh, but in the way the presentation. No, There's a lot more. The presentation. But with magic because it's all hung on something impossible. That that first down of it's just this. It's a much bigger fall than finding that Joni Mitchell was using a special tuning. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bigger fall than that. <laughs> than finding out that that solo was overtracked. Uh, Remember that moment when you went, "Oh, he can't play that." They just overtracked it. They just he he did it two runs through, and, and I bothered learning it with one. And then you can still enjoy the magic of yeah, that. Sure, sure, you know, yeah. you still you still. And again, you enjoy the magic of hearing the Beatles. Yeah, it was Sergeant Pepper's without knowing all the stuff. Although I heard that you know, I, I just read that Peter Jackson is doing a documentary about Let It Be, which he's going to he's going to he's going to clean up the footage. Yeah, and uh, that's another movie that changes. You know, when you when, when when you see Let It Be when you're a child, these are really cool guys. Yeah, when you see it as an adult, it's like these are four petulant children. <laughs> I, mean, I can't even imagine what it must have been like to be. You know, that level of notoriety. And, and, Yoko, and Yoko going into the bathroom with John. Right. And, and not being, not ever not being touching. Right. So they had to be touching while he was playing everything. And then, you know, George, uh, uh, Yoko took one of George's cookies. 
And <laughs> well, that may have been the whole thing because the Beatles were crazy about their snacks. Mm-hmm. They had little areas for their snacks, and no one touched each other's snacks. And Yoko went over and just grabbed a well, biscuit is what George sure, would sure, say. sure. Grabbed a biscuit and popped it in her mouth, and George never recovered. <laughs> I don't know how you are about your snacks. I came back. We played the Wiltern Theater here. Yeah, the Wiltern Theater, and I went backstage during intermission, and Bruce Springsteen was in my dressing room eating my potato chips. You threw him the fuck right out of well, there. Well, no, I said, what do, you, what do you do? What do you eat my snacks? He said, oh, man, they, they said to the crowd I shouldn't be out there, so they brought me back here. I said, okay, they brought you back here. You're sitting here. What's that in your right hand? <laughs> he said, I, just, I was having a couple of... I go, ah. And the boss put him back on the bowl. You're not the boss of my chips, <laughs> motherfucker. No, you're not. This is not Jersey. <laughs> Give it, spit them out. <laughs> I don't know how we, I don't know how you are with your snacks. I'm not that crazy about the snack. I mean, I'm not I'm not that territorial and about snacks. That's why you're not in the Beatles. That's why I'm not <laughs> in the Beatles. But take my parking space. <laughs> you're crazy about parking. I'm space. crazy. Well, yeah, because parking sucks in L.A. Yeah. So if you have a parking space, that's but plenty of snacks. Plenty of snacks. Yeah, <laughs> plenty of snacks. Penn, thank you so much. Thank for you, being sir. Here again It's a pleasure to see you, and I want to come see your show in Vegas. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. It's time for Word Salad Wrap. The words are wrapped up like a salad that you can eat with your hands, but technically are shoving in your ears while it trickles in your soul. Um, Boy, that'd be a great theme song for every one of these, wouldn't it? But wouldn't it, though? Come on, wouldn't it? (laughs) I'm arguing against you because I know you're saying no. Um, So... Hey, I, you know, Penn said some interesting things that uh, that I think are worth just kind of drilling down on a little bit, which is, you know, just the idea of like doing the work, showing up on time and uh, doing what you say you're going to do, which are technically he jokes is kind of the same thing, according to his son. But um, it it just kind of expands this bigger idea of like whatever it is that you want, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a, a material thing, just whatever you want, you know, uh, a better relationship or more this or less that or, you know, a new habit that you want to undertake. It's – are you doing all the work that you can be doing? There's a great – and I'm pretty sure I've said it before, but there's a great Brian Tracy quote. And Brian Tracy is a like a motivational self-help guy and um, and he has a great – book called Goals. And it's an audio book too. And there's just that one quote in there that I will keep reminding you over and over again. But the quote is, what will you do when you do all that you were expected to do? What are you going to do next after that? Everyone can do the bare mins, right? But then what happens after that? What's the work that you're putting in after that? And again, it doesn't have to be for a material thing. Is it, you know, I want to be I want to be in better shape or I want a better diet or I want uh you know a I don't know a, a change in a relationship that you're in or whatever are you doing everything that you can possibly do 
And then what are you doing on top of that? <laughs> Again, you don't have to do these things. It's just if you want stuff. You know, because it's so easy to fall in the trap of like, oh, I didn't get this thing. What the fuck? How come? We all do it. I do it. Everyone does it. But then you really take a step back and go, okay, I'm going to be real with myself. It's real time with me. Um, <laughs> is it, uh, is everything, was everything done that could have been done? What did I do? What is the work that I put into this? If I want to try this again, what more could I possibly do? You know, I mean, it, it'd be nice if things just happened at us in the universe that fell into our lap, but then I don't know if you'd really appreciate it if that were the case. You know what I mean? The more you work for something, the more you're going to appreciate it. So you're going to benefit on two fronts. You're going to benefit on the front of either getting the thing that you want or not, or maybe learning how to, what to do to get that or what not to do. Um, so you're going to, you're going to get the thing. And then also you're going to gain so much more appreciation that you were creative and you thought outside the box and you put in extra time and you put in extra passion. And maybe if you're not willing to do those things, then maybe you don't want the thing that you say you want as badly as you do. You know, I always say that when people want to start stand-up, I go, just do it. Do it like a hundred times, you know, because if you find yourself not putting in the work or not wanting to go up on stage, you know, after you bomb or have a great show or whatever, and you don't really, you're not motivated to do it that much after a while, then maybe it's not something that you really want to do because you do what you want. We do what we want to do in our lives. And so you, you, you can, maybe you can trick other people or fool other people into thinking that you want stuff, but you can't fool yourself because your body's not going to do it if you don't fucking want to do it. Even, and I know, I know, I know it's easy to, you know, if you're tired or it's easy to put stuff off or if you're just a, a serial procrastinator, but, but it's just the idea of putting in all of the work. Are you putting in all the work that you can be putting in? And maybe you are, and maybe you're still not getting that thing. So maybe you try a different approach, or maybe you reassess, or maybe you ask, why do I want this thing? Do I really still want this thing? Sometimes we pursue stuff so hard that our priorities change, and we don't realize that maybe we don't actually want that thing anymore. And it's okay to not want a thing anymore. It's okay to not get a thing and not want a thing anymore. Those two things are fine. There's no rules. You make up the rules, you know? No one's, the universe doesn't force those rules on you. So that's it. What is it that you want? Why do you want that thing? Write down all the things that you think you could do to get that thing and then some. And then once you've done all that, then reassess, you know? Because again, attaining a thing is momentary, but the journey is what makes you so... Just enjoy that process. Enjoy that burrito. I don't know how many times I've said that to you on this podcast. We're almost at a thousand episodes for crap's sake. So, but it's because I love you and I appreciate you. And I appreciate that you listen this far into word salad rap. I don't remember what the theme song was. So let's just say this is the closing credit song as credits roll by for people in the podcast that made it possible. And also the ingredients of the burrito uh, salad that I reference. Um, well, I think we'll all agree that fell apart at the end. But, you know, maybe I just didn't work hard enough for it. Maybe I need to go back to the drawing board and do everything after the bare mins. All right, I'll, let me get back to you on that. AKA, I will never sing that song again. A good day to you. ID 10 scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito.
Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail, or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand Drunk Elephant was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies and brands to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity, a how-to guide for navigating life's challenges from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.